My name is Neven Angelic. I am a reader in international relations and human rights at Regents University London. I first met Nevin 20 years ago in the CNN newsroom in London. We were both working at Master Control, pushing buttons, flipping switches, changing tapes, hiding from the world, in a sense, and our past lives as journalists in our home countries, and yet eager to stay connected by keeping our fingers in journalism. There was no greater workplace for a young journalist then than the great CNN International. I'm uh, from Sarajevo, Bosnia, Herzegovina. In what downtime he had, Nevin wrote a book, one of many, and became the go-to expert on all things Yugoslavia. Do you recall Yugoslavia and the Balkans' war? By 2003, it had splintered and there was no Yugoslavia to speak of. I was a happy young journalist running a radio station in Sarajevo and trying to enjoy life as uh, all young people would like to. I was brought up very patriotic, pro-Yugoslav. Then it was the late 1980s, early 1990s, and this period of changes, global changes. And instead of the liberal reforms, we have nationalist reforms and the breakup of the country. Instead of one country, now we have six or seven, because uh, one of them is recognized by around 100 states in the world, but uh, another 100 states in the world do not recognize that country. So uh, you can see that uh, it is very messy and the divorce was very messy. It was worse even than in the Soviet Union. The end of this regime proved to be more difficult than in the rest of the Central and Eastern Europe. Nevin knows firsthand the price of dictators and bullies trying to squash their own people. All the catastrophic decisions made by people on behalf of the state, war crimes, crimes against humanity, genocide, all this committed in the name of one collectivity, of one nation, you lose, uh, you change. We own this country. He left Sarajevo in the early 90s after some thugs made it clear they were displeased by his work. We had the impression that we were changing everything, that we were uh, driving force, drivers of these changes, which is dangerous for journalists because we should objectively present the facts and let the people make the changes. Then I found myself basically that you couldn't really report unless you actually follow the lead of the nationalist rhetoric that governs your particular part of the world, part of the country. And in many ways, it was worse than the communist era. So this is the period when I became disillusioned with journalism, with media, uh, and I managed to use my uh, belonging to this profession to be able to board a UN plane to escape the city after one year of the siege, arrive to London. And then, ironically, the easiest way for me to get a job was in media. So I continued working there, but I was trying very hard to, to, to leave it because of this disappointment. Was it disappointing because of what you saw among the colleagues and the practice itself or the way that you had to function under maybe uh, an oppressive regime? It should be really both. Uh, I mean, human nature, this is something that amazes me ever since. What people are prepared to do to sell uh, their values, their, their souls, in order to achieve, to gain some benefits, which would be the position or kind of a sense of stardom. So this is one element to this. Uh, then you can see that uh, people progress uh, who are not really uh, worthy, who are not professional. And then also you can see that 
the regime should really allow any regime, uh, if it is worth keeping it and not changing it, should allow criticism or should allow debate. And uh, that was lacking. But I have to say that uh, coming to London and uh, yes, there is a high level of professionalism in media, but you can see also that the individual going against the system is destined to lose. How do you feel then about the system going against certain individuals when governments or, for example, the president of the United States who has called out individual reporters and then made it a question of not just their integrity, but the integrity of their entire organization or indeed of the entire profession? This is really the problem ever since the end of the Second World War. This is the period that was relatively prosperous for significant parts of the world, certainly for the Western civilization and countries belonging to this civilization, where this kind of liberal democracy system has been developed. And it functions fairly well for those belonging to the elite. And uh, I'm not talking only about political and economic elites. We have media elites as well being part of these elites. It is very elitist system. This is what shows us the real problem with liberal democracy, that literally anyone could abuse the system and then almost destroy it. Because whatever the case, whatever the changes in economic domination across the globe, it is the United States still that dominates the world. And uh, the presence of that country is really the most powerful person on earth. And if you have the kind of president who is admired in Brazil, who is admired in London, who is admired in Moscow or Turkey, we can go to Philippines, India, significant number of people on earth that are actually living in the sort of the regimes that are not liberal democracy, that are not tolerant to the people who don't think as the, those on the top of the pyramid of the rule. What do you feel the role then should be of media in situations like that, in governments like that, or indeed in societies like that? Perception was, uh, during this prosperous period, peaceful period, uh, that media's role is to correct those in power, what uh, should be or should not be done, uh, to question them on behalf of the people. But I think uh, this has been suppressed by the elite, by the political elite, by economic elite, because when you look at this, they uh, communicate with the announcements public announcement, PR companies, and it's really, they just prevent access to those power holders if the media is too critical of the person in power. So the whole system should be reformed now. Otherwise, we are heading towards uh, difficult times where autocrats uh, will be in position of legitimizing their power by democratic elections, but since being elected, they can uh, reshape the system to have this legitimacy to rule almost as dictators in the past. So it seems there are issues with the media and issues with liberal democracy. And basically, this is currently an opportunity for both of those sides to reform, because as you pointed out, you also strongly feel that the media itself needs to look at itself and reform its behavior. I remember when I was starting as a journalist and I interviewed one very, very experienced war reporter and I was amazed by his experiences. And it was pre-digital era and how he collected all this information, how he produced it and how safe it was to report from the war zone, for example. And he told me that basically every single side in any kind of conflict will make sure that nothing happens to a journalist because it's not in their interest. And since then, we had the technological revolution, digital revolution, democratized media. Now, the number of journalists, anyone could be a journalist. Citizen journalism is uh, one of the elements. And uh, respect for journalists has been lost. And those involved in conflict, they don't care about journalists any longer. 
this is a, a side effect of positive changes of the democratization of the right. media, providing everyone with the opportunity. And now it's a question whom to trust, what source we should trust. There are so many sources that are conflicting with interpretations of the facts. At the end, we have to check some of the traditional ones, say BBC or CNN or somebody who has been there for a while. But it doesn't mean that actually even they do know this because mm. on occasions uh, they can go astray as well. How do you feel then about you know, the movement to defend press freedom? When, as you said, it is very difficult to define what constitutes the press. Do we stick to traditional media outfits then as the ones that you mentioned, the big names? This is something that together with the political system and inevitable changes that uh, will have to take place to reshape our society. The media world will have to do it. Now, in the distant past, uh, we worked for CNN. Uh, it was uh, something that, uh, wow, we made it. This is the brand. Uh, this is the beginning of this yes. kind of brandism. And when I would kind of mention this to students, it would be, wow, do you know, did you see this and this? And Now I ask, who is uh, Christian Amanpour? One or none of the students would know, because the, the way they consume news is very different. It's mobile phones. Television sets uh, are uh, not something that they would uh, follow news uh, or that they would uh, want to entertain themselves. Everything is online. And uh, those in power in media world are our generation. And uh, our habits are different from the generation that are consumers. And uh, this is this yeah. misunderstanding that is ongoing. And uh, I think the reputable or established old media has to address this before providing new opportunities and to secure media freedoms. Do you feel then that there is more of a role to be played by those who are recording what is happening currently? Because there are so many different sources. Those individuals who are brave enough and who are persistent with their criticism, with opening up the floor to debates on every single issue. For example, in Philippines, this is not really an opportunity for mass media, but for the individuals to stand up to the regime and patiently build up the support, spread the news, the topic to the masses, and eventually the masses might be empowered to make the change. But it's a long process and it's a question from individual point of view. Is it worth it? What has been your experience ultimately? Do you feel it has been worth it for your own country? Was it worth it? Maybe some people had better lives if they kept quiet. But we are individuals and we choose our path. And wherever I live, I am a foreigner now. And I'm happy with that position. That, that is fine. But sometimes I feel envious when people are so passionate about uh, their country, their political party. After all, I mean, even to express myself, I lost my, I mean, my language. I still have it, of course, but it's not as nice as it used to be. My English will never be as it should be. And so you can see you are somewhere in, in a gap in between. Uh, which on occasions might be comfortable position. Was it worth it? I think mm. it, after all, uh, it is worth it uh, to, to make a point, to stand up for your rights and the rights of other people. Do you feel it is important to have a relatively free press, to have those different voices that might be critical of people in positions of power? Yes, the ultimate necessity. However, the problem is that freedom of press should be applied to everyone. And then we have those uh, who are, let's say, on the other end, who argue for very controlled society. They also deserve this freedom of press. But uh, we know that they don't always use facts. How do you draw the line there? This is really the problem. Because if you are for the principle of the free press, then you have to stand up for those pro-Nazis who are publishing their pamphlets and uh, they have been suppressed by the government. 
This is really the problem. You really go against your own personal beliefs in order to maintain the principle. Of course, where you draw the line is if what they are publishing is objectively untrue, no? Yes, we do have Russia. I'm sure that Putin would be elected anyway without the control over the press, without the control over the judiciary and the whole system. I'm sure that Erdogan in Turkey would also win without this element. Whether they would win several elections in a row, that's another issue, but one election for sure. So they do have popular support, and uh, roughly speaking, we are possibly talking about uh, a 50-50 split in many societies. And this is really the problem. Is democracy really the best solution, the best political model? Because, yes, we are all equal, we should all enjoy equal rights, but eventually you have an illiterate person has the right to, to cast the vote equally to the very well-educated person. So who is making the choice for whom? This is really the, the, the question that we should try to find the answer. And uh, I have been trying uh, uh, very hard and I, I have no answer. To give you a background, here in the Philippines, the largest network, the largest media network has just been shut down by the government for what seems to be a trumped-up reason. They found some sort of administrative reason and shut down the network, did not give them a license to run. And surprisingly, many Filipinos support that move. And it's being pointed out by those who oppose it that this is a very dictatorial, authoritarian move. And yet, in a liberal, or what is supposed to be a liberal democracy, people are supportive of it. What would you make of something like that? This is not unique. I think it was last week or 10 days ago in Hungary, the last major media and its website. The editor-in-chief has been attacked and uh, the whole army of journalists resigned because what happened, it's not that the regime, the Viktor Orban's regime directly imposed some sanctions upon this particular media. What they did was a crony, somebody who is on very friendly terms, capitalist with prime minister, he bought, he bought the company and then introduced changes. And uh, so they are using the system that was originally introduced by these liberal-minded capitalists, if you want, in the Western world, and then exported to other parts of the world. And now we have reaction, reactionary forces using the same method and think everything is clear. It's a business-oriented decision. It's not ideological. It's not political. And so how you, you can defend opportunity for public debate if the major media in Philippines has been put under control or closed down? If uh, anyone who was supportive of uh, major media in Russia has been removed or all of a sudden they have been found uh, to be committing financial crimes, which they were doing before, of course, but uh, all of a sudden uh, they are put in prison or they, they seek exile in London because they are bringing billions. And the British government, which is very restrictive for immigrants, is very open-minded for billionaires from Russia escaping, escaping Putin's country. So you can see that the hypocrisy is present in all spheres. And now, if you are really trying to preserve these main human values, you are in a position of Don Quixote. Which is basically, we're all tilting at windmills, huh? To be it, and if we can achieve something, perhaps, but self-sacrifice is the element that not everyone is prepared to commit to.
And we have the divided society. This is something that is the issue of the 21st century, divided societies. We can find them in the United States. We can find them in Turkey, in Hungary. And it's a question of uh, a majority. I'm afraid that we are living in the era of the dictatorship of the majority, that those previously illiberal and uh, less interested in politics uh, parts of the society realize if we are well organized, we can present a majority and introduce our rules, which will not be tolerant towards the others that do not belong, that do not share the values with us. How do we get out of that? Or is that a necessary stage for growth or for progress? If we look in 1920s and 1930s, fascism, fascist ideology was providing opportunities, business opportunities for part of the economic elite. The state was all powerful. And now we have these uh, ideologies of populist politics that uh, in some form we are coming back as the coronavirus pandemic has reminded us of what happened in the past century. Yes. Do you feel then that the rise of such regimes, if we call them fascist, authoritarian, dictatorial characters that are driving these personality politics. Is that also a response to a failure of the media? You want all sides to get involved in the debate. So you provide microphone, you provide stage for those with whose values you don't really agree and also whose values might endanger your own position as a journalist if they come to power. And ultimately, it's an absurd situation. If you are professional, you are providing them with the opportunity to spread their campaign. So the question is how to behave. And again, the role of journalists. Uh, is it uh, the role to actually uh, provide opportunity for everyone, equal opportunity? Or is it the role to kind of guide the main principles of the democratic society and prevent those who might endanger these principles from gaining access uh, to public stage? Uh, Unfortunately, I think that professionalism uh, has to lose here if we are going to win this battle. Media has to behave in a more critical way towards one side of the argument, so towards illiberal side of the argument, to warn about possible dangers. Uh, otherwise, campaigns will be run because they are well organized. They are organized like armies, and they will spread their battles, especially during the post a crisis period, whether it's economic crisis or some uh, political upheaval within the society. And uh, th this is the, the period when uh, new types of power holders might come uh, to prominence. We can look at Italy, for example, and uh, we have uh, populists who won the election. So this is the reaction that is coming from, uh, from people, really. In the name of democracy, you are suspending democracy. The message from the voters, from the electorate is, we want change. And the traditional political forces do not offer this. People wanted something to change. If the system is not offering, they are going to look for more radical alternatives. What would your final word be then to media who are having to ride the tides of these governments that are attacking their very existence? To be truthful, to insist on the truth, or on truth, and whatever the price, being deprived of the access to information, of the access to power holders, uh, uh, yet continue, be persistent, and eventually it might pay out, and I think ultimately it might be worth it doing it. When you asked me previously, when I tried to kind of... Uh, be a driving force for, for positive changes, liberal changes in the society. Uh, ultimately, I was a loser. However, I will do it again. So I think uh, it is very much worth it. Well, that's it for this episode of About That. 
Thank you once again for listening. Please do share our links so that others can enjoy the podcast just as I hope you did. And subscribe so that you're kept up to date when our next episode drops. For now, I'm Margot Tigas wishing you all good health. Please stay safe. <laughs>